I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. And you're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Herpeticulture Network. Off to a start. Phil's dog's going crazy. Going crazy. Cody Joe's having some uh, some connection issues there. So everyone's busting out the tequila. I'm not being technically difficult. I'm just trying to make sure it's working for everybody. Oop. Well, it looks like we may have someone there. Oh, spinning ring. Spinning ring of doom. Spinning ring of doom. At least well, it's I'm not the red ring. At least Phil's here this week. I am. I am. What a horrible miscommunication. My sincerest apologies to all of our friends and listeners. I thought something had happened to you. Nah. Hindsight, I didn't realize this, but like halfway through the four and a half hour flight, they're like, we're now turning on the free Wi-Fi. And I was like, man, I probably could have did the show in the airplane. <laughs> that would have been wild. You, you were probably like, it was like in Home Alone when she realized she left Kevin at home. No, not, no, because I told you. At least you did not tell me. I, I wouldn't have remembered that. It was brief. It was like, oh, we're going to do this on this day. And then the following week, I'm not going to be there because I'm going to be on business. And you were like, okay. Like, that was that was the extent of it. But it was it was a while ago. So, again, my sincerest apologies. Look, Billy Jenkins me. cried himself to sleep that night. How, how does was that, that make you feel? How is that different than any other night? It's true. <laughs> Should have let you know earlier, Keller. I couldn't. I didn't know it was happening. Yes, and thank you all. I am alive and well. I was on a plane headed to a faraway land for business, not pleasure. Hey, there we go. We've got some video action. Is it cooperating for you? I see him, but it's definitely frozen. Hmm. <clears throat> Smitty refuses to ask any of the B team to jump in. Well, I like usually I just assume everyone's like busy. Like it's kind of hard to ask somebody, hey, it's nine o'clock on a Monday, hop in for two hours and yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, like, nah, I'm asleep. It's bedtime. Uh, Jeff Frederick said we need a podcast over international waters on an international flight. That would be pretty awesome. I bet you the connection would be amazing for whatever reason, just because it's not when we're sitting at our homes. Dude, I was legit looking into getting Starlink to switch to that from Hargrey. Really. And it's not any more expensive than what we're paying for now. You just got to pay like 600 bucks for the the satellite dish and, and all that equipment. Oh, geez. But my aunt and uncle had it out in the middle of Tennessee in, in the middle of nowhere, and it worked amazing. Really? Yes. Have you ever seen the Starlink chain fly overhead? No. I have. It was pretty awesome. It's scary because you're like, whoa, my God, look at all those UFOs interconnected. It's like a it's a dotted line across the sky. That's unnatural. And you're like, oh, wait, no. It's just Tesla. <laughs> it's just Elon. It's just Elon. Flying around. Flexing. 
but yeah, I uh, I was in the lower Nevada area for business. It was 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It had rained as I got there. So I was like, all right, this was Monday night. Tuesday night, I had the opportunity to do some light herping around a rural uh, clubhouse, if you will. You know, just like your neighborhood clubhouse. And there was one area that was like wet. Like when you put your foot down in the sand, it was like wet sand. And I was like, this is great. It's 50 degrees Fahrenheit. The It's 10 degrees Celsius. The amphibians are going to be on the move. I had like Nipper in my in my corner hyping me up. He's like, you'll find them. You'll find them. Desert toads, desert toads, blah, blah, blah. Dude, not a single thing was moving. And I think I just, I think had I come out like maybe an hour after the rain or maybe an hour before the rain, I would have been money. But where nothing, I was nothing but yeah. a batch of hepatitis on the toilet seat. Pretty much, pretty much. Hmm. So yes. Well, I'm I'm calling this one episode 192 redo because I don't think the 30 minutes last week counts. So fair enough, fair enough. This is episode 192 again. Proper of Snake Stogies brought to you by blackbuckcages.com. You need a rack. You need a cage. Uh, do some shopping. Tax season's coming up. We've already filed, so I'm looking forward to that. I think we're going to go ahead and put it towards bills. Yay! Uh, shop around. You're in the you're in the market for a new rack or a new cage. Hop on blackboxcages.com. Take a look around at what they have to offer. All the customized, you know, customizable uh, options, add-ons, that stuff. And then use the code THN at checkout if you end up getting yourself something nice. Uh, get 10% off your order and save on shipping. If you're in the general Georgia, North Georgia area, uh, you, there's a pickup option so you can drive and pick up from black, black box direct. Um, they have an actual like shop air, like warehouse kind of deal. They're not operating out of their house or anything. So it's not like weird, you know, you, they have a location that they're actually working out of. So it's pretty cool. Um, so give them a look. Uh, com. use code THN to check out as well on there and get 15% off your order. That is the exclusive promo code just for THN listeners and viewers like you. I got some orders going out tomorrow. I got that Calliopha shirt up. I got, there's been, I've, I've been pretty busy uploading some, some designs and stuff. You man. have, you've been a busy boy. So if you haven't gone and looked at some of the new offerings, which I need to figure out how to have my <clears throat> Shopify store sort of automatically have the new stuff on the homepage, you know, and right. sort of cycle things out randomly. Um, I need to figure that out because without that, you have to sort of dig to find the newer stuff. So I, I it's, I'm going to look into that. I don't know when I'll have time to do that. Um, Cause I was also told today, uh, someone emailed me that after they placed an order saying the checkout, when you do that, it doesn't tell you what sizes you got, like what sizes are in your order and some other sort of weird stuff um, that I need to, I need to look into. Um, so that may be a project for tomorrow afternoon when I get home from work, but otherwise Order's going out. It's all good. Definitely Excellent. get a booth at Daytona, says Jeff Frederick. Oh, yeah. I called Phil and talked to him 
a little bit and talk to Billy a little bit about sort of figuring that out. And I think we are good to go. We got I think that working. Go. Yeah. We got we got two more sponsors real quick. Perfect. Which is I was who? a little worried there. <laughs> What's that? Who? I was a little worried that computer wasn't going to work there. <laughs> nice. We see you and hear you. Cold blooded caffeine. Check them out. Pinky's up. I did change the code. I changed the code. What did I change it to? Um, I think I used the code Smitty. I think I changed it to Smitty. As just right there, S M I T T Y. I was like, at first, I was like, let me use Stogie, but then people are gonna try and spell it with an A, and it's not gonna work. And like, there's, yeah, trying to make it simple. So, sure, sure. Um, yeah, best coffee around. You won't regret it. Uh, I got this bag right here. It's next to Stogie's blend. After there it the is. London, the good stuff. With the Chlorecus on the label. So, check that out. Uh, shop our stuff, all the other stuff on coldbloodedcaffeine.com. And then Jeff and Kendra in the Pacific Northwest, Puget Sound Pythons. They're still rocking and rolling with that ultrasound machine, man. They're posting pictures constantly in the in the group chat about this female's about to be ready to go. This one's got a lot going on. You know, it's it's wild. Yeah, for sure. Faux show. Um, anything new in the last two weeks? I, well, everything was chilling. And I do mean that in the literal sense. It wasn't a legitimate brumation or like hibernation, but the room got down to the 60s. So that was very promising. And I didn't feed stuff for about two months. And I was like, all right, cool. It's getting warmer. It's going to hit the 70s. It hit like 75 in the room. I was like, all right, time to feed stuff. I fed everything. Uh, what's today? Today's Monday. I fed everything Friday night. And now it's 50 degrees again. So the room is at like 68 right now. So hopefully it stays like that all evening. I actually kicked up some uh, heat lamps and like I have the Gila Monster on like a... a it's not a dimmer switch, but it basically does the amount of it's a dimmer, it's a dimmer switch. Let's just call it what it is. It's a dimmer switch for heat. And I just crank that sucker up. So hopefully that'll raise the room temp a little bit. And uh nothing will throw up, knock on wood. <laughs> Joe said it got cold today. South Florida cold. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good catch, Boca Joe. Yeah. So, but speaking of uh, cold, Smitty, did you raise everything up like you said you were going to? Yeah, yeah, everything's been up for a while now. Um, I actually tried out. So the week before, I think we talked about that I'd, I'd fed livers to some stuff, like chicken yeah. liver. Yeah, Um, And got pretty good success with that. Well, I decided to try gizzards over the weekend and got a lot of success with that. Excellent. Um, Stuff went absolutely crazy. The Bairds ate it. The Leonis ate it, which was really surprising because I was sure the Leonis weren't going to go for it. And yours were Um, only eating uh, boiled pinks? No, mine were eating frozen thawed, no problem. Oh, okay, cool. I just didn't expect them to go for the gizzards because it's sort of pretty far removed from what they're usually eating. Yeah, for Um, sure, for sure. And even the you know the chondros, I, I, I didn't think the chondros wouldn't take it. He'll take just about anything at this point. Yeah. Um, but corns, like I think every corn I offered it, minus one or two, took it. You know whether I fed it to him direct or drop fed. Um, most of the bairds 
Baird's babies took, and then I didn't drive with any of the rhinos or anything. But I mean, for two dollars and eighty four cents, getting a bucket of of gizzards that you know usually has a couple hearts in there too. Uh, yeah. And then I just I got a small cutting board from Dollar Tree and a knife and just sliced it, made it you know strip like, and then that's what I fed baby corns and everything else. And how much of a mess was it actually feeding? The livers, it was a nightmare. The okay. livers, it was a real pain in the ass. Uh, gizzards popped. were way different. Gizzards were light years easier because it's a lot firmer. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> not nearly as as messy, for sure. Uh, but what I did, too, is that when I went to Dollar Tree, I picked up some more of those deli cups that I like to use, those little green-lidded ones. Yeah. And for the babies, I would just put the babies in the deli cup with a piece you know, of gizzard and then put, them, put that in the... the container they're in and snap the lid on and then i'd stack them and then by the time i got to the bottom of that stack i'd just go back through and see who finished and just let them out of those cups and that that was sort of a good way as far as saving time um did you leave the cups in their tubs until they finished eating yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. but i'm saying you didn't like stack them all up on the counter or anything no so i keep track of who's supposed to be going where you know i didn't want to get them mixed up but yeah yeah man everything Everything was all about some gizzards, and I did some some Googling uh, as far as sort of the which is healthier, be it livers or gizzards, and both are, are jam-packed full of uh, nutrients and stuff. Um, gizzards are supposedly, from what I was reading, one of the healthiest organ meats, um, packed with a ton of different vitamins and minerals and things like that. But they are high in cholesterol, which I'm curious now. Cholesterol wise with herps, you know, does that really, does that really matter? Is that really a thing? Um, right. And right. I need to look through the Mater book to see if there's anything about that in there. Cause I am genuinely curious now if, if you feed a lot of livers or, or gizzards, you know, do they, do they get cholesterol issues? Like, is, yeah. that, is that a problem? You know? So sure. Sure. We'll see. But um, that was nice. It's not going to take over and be like the primary diet by any means, but and to to have something that I can sort of pad the the mice uh, yeah. load with and stuff it, it is good so just augment the variety that's right excellent cholesterol is a key ingredient for testosterone if that's the case then I should be the manliest man around <laughs> uh, what are you smoking tonight I got I went digging through the humidor and I forgot I had one of these but. A, a, I always say La Crema. La oh, Crema. yeah. La Crema. La Crema. Yeah. yeah. Good, dude. I had one of those a couple of weeks ago. Oh, it was good. Yeah, man. Haven't had one in a long time. I, I bought like three or four, I don't know, maybe like two years ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, dude, it's it's perfect. So, and yourself? So, I think I am coming down with something that is floating through my household right now. So, my throat oh, it's is going kind around. of on fire today. But I said... To hell with it. It's not going to stop me. I tried one of these CAO Amazon basins. I heard that was all right. Oh, my God. Really? Legit one of the best cigars I've ever had in my life. Excellent, because I'm not a big CAO guy. but that, that I, yeah. I like most CAOs are pretty good. These, phenomenal. This is just, it's a, it's a five-leaf blend, so it's got five leaves from five different areas in the, in the blend. Um Colombian, Brazil, Nicaraguan, uh, Ecuador and Sumatra, and what was the other one? 
I think a Habano. If I'm not mistaken. Hopefully nothing of the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's really freaking good. It's really bizarre. Um, kind of has like people have described it as kind of like a peanut butter and jelly type sort of flavorishness to it, which I, it does have, it has kind of that weird sweet and savory thing going on nice. at the same time. It's just, it's very unique. And I think that that five, you know, that, that blend itself is obviously, uh, gonna give you something something different so Excellent. if you see them grab one let me see the band very good it's not really a band it's like a blair witch oh that's crown, cool crown of thorns type thing i haven't tried smoking through it yet but i'm i might tonight i i wasn't brave enough to do it the other night when i smoked it so very cool we'll see but um yeah it's i'm i'm hoping i can still enjoy some of it even with my sinuses being kind of obliterated right now it's that time of year man everyone's everyone's got something they're choked up on so well speaking of it being cold out i think it's about time we introduce our guest who is moving and 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 not frozen and crystal clear so uh smitty would you care to do the honors after you light your face on fire Whew. Uh, so Cody Joe here um, came highly recommended from our buddy Michael Gillen. He is a fellow Canadian up there in the great white north. I don't know how under snow you guys are right now because he's uh, so Gillen's like west west coast right and you're sort of more Calgary Calgary right which is more pretty much I'm like an hour out of Calgary hour and a half I got you yeah, we were we're good now. Like a week and a half ago, with wind chill, we were minus fifty five. Yeah, can't even, I can't That's fathom it. Like I can't crazy. even imagine what that feels like. That's like because Olson was saying, sending me screenshots, and he's like negative twenty and stuff in Minnesota, and I'm like, dude, I literally couldn't even tell you what that felt like. I have no that idea. is wild. <laughs> yeah, she hurts to breathe when you go out there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Well, just Strange. for everyone who is chilly, my current temperature is, and Boca Joe, you don't count, 55 degrees Fahrenheit, feels like 54, and uh, it is 69% humidity. So, I'm very sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's like 47 here right now. So. I'm like 7 Celsius right now. Whoa, whoa. It's warm right now. I got the door open. I'm sweating. <laughs> nice, nice. Let's say he's wearing a t-shirt. He can't be that cold. <laughs> yeah, the shop's pretty damn hot. Yeah. Nice. And Sean nice. McCarthy's in central Ontario. Oh, really? Ontario? Ontario. Ontario. I don't yeah, Ontario. Yeah. Ontario. Yeah. Tomato tomato. Same thing. Yeah. Only if you're <laughs> only if you're in Quebec. Ah, they I, got thought, their own I thought that was yeah, called right. Quebec. Quebec? What's that little boot? All right, I'm done with the Canadian jokes. So, <laughs> Cody Joe, man, herpetological jack of all trades. Like, <laughs> crazy critters, man. And don't you dare think we're going to do a single... How do I phrase this? We're talking about stingrays tonight at some point, whether you like it or not. Fair. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, yeah, man. Why don't you uh, give yourself a, give yourself a little introduction? My apologies. Yeah. Um, obviously, my name's Cody Joe. I uh, own a little shop called the Reptile Shop. 
uh, in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, obviously. Uh, the shop has only been a recent thing of like the last four years. Um, but previous to that, I've been well breeding and doing expos for like the last 21 years, I think. Uh, work with a little bit of everything. I like the oddball stuff, like all the obscure pythons and boas. I do a lot of monitor lizards. Uh, I've pretty well done anything in between. Like I do some of the more common stuff for the shop, like beardies and all that. Uh, I've bred all that other stuff, leopard geckos, cresties, corns, all of that. Uh, yeah, if it's reptiles, I like it. <laughs> or animals, really. Yeah, uh, I mean, what was the sort of getting into for to go from getting into the hobby being in the hobby for a while and then deciding to do the storefront thing sort of what was the timeline with that though uh like three weeks uh mine was a little unconventional uh me and my girlfriend at the time um we were living in calgary working at a store there and we were kind of humming and hawing about making like maybe like a five-year plan to do a shop and save some money. Uh, and then we had an investigator from the city come to the house one day and it was in regards to breeding stingrays in the garage. Cause we had a double car garage that I had turned into a fish room and it was about that. And then when I answered the door, he's seen the reptile operation and I guess, I don't know, technically it was business. So they wanted us to apply for like a, what's called a class two land permit. Mm -hmm. And it would enable you to use up to 20% of the square footage of the house for a business. And it would fall under the same thing as like a kennel would. Okay. But I was already using like 95% of the house and the whole garage. So it wouldn't get approved. And then they wanted us to just keep paying like $500 to reapply in hopes of it getting approved. And we were renting and the guy we were renting from was just a property manager. And he obviously didn't want the owner to know that he rented it to us with all the animals. So he told me to forge a letter of permission to the city. Um, wow. So the whole thing was just not going to happen. Um, wow. So we kind of just like, I had always been looking at red deer cause I always seen posts like there's nothing in red deer. There's pretty much no breeders no stores and it's right in between Edmonton and Calgary. So people are always looking for somebody to deliver stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I started looking at buildings and like, we honestly didn't even have any savings at the time or anything. Uh, so I found a building and we just scrounged up whatever money we could, took our last paychecks from the pet store and then secured this building. And then I happened to, when we were looking for somewhere to live, the landlords to this building actually had another ad and I went on like this Google satellite imaging and I looked out the window and it was the same street view. So I realized it was on top of the shop and then we ended up getting <laughs> just the entire building uh, and moving out here. And that's awesome. Yeah. I just used all, I had uh, like 50 exoterras I was using for tree boas and I used all of those for the store and then put the tree boas in tubs and then just kind of like flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped from there. <laughs> so it's a little unconventional. So I don't know how to do it the proper way, but. Hey, man, it, it worked, you know? Yeah, I'm living. <laughs> That's great. What's in the background behind you? 
That is Rannis Molinas, uh, Queen's nice. Monitors. There's a male up top, and then I think the females. Yeah, up top on the other side. Very cool, man. Hell of an enclosure. Are those display animals or are those for sale? Those are displays. That's a breeding pair. Okay. Um, actually, just the other day, I put Universal Rock on that side, and then next Thursday, I'm going to do the other side. Get it all done up, look a little nicer. But yeah. that's a breeding pair. They those suckers produce a lot. <laughs> nice, nice. None of people are doing Molinas. No, like none of the Indicus complex really, uh, which is a shame because they're cool. But. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. they're 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 just big enough, but not too big. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. in Alberta, we can't have water monitors or croc monitors or anything. Uh, the biggest thing that we can have here is. Uh, well, black throats, um, and then I guess technically we can have coming eye or Kamingi, however you want to. Okay. Coming eye. Hmm. Still awesome. Now, is the as far as because it seems like the Canada overall, from everyone I've talked to that that lives up there and keeps herps, and I mean that's not a ton of people, but um, it seems like it's fairly strict, but it seems to be so much more of like. A local government thing over like provincial is that i don't like the, the the provinces themselves don't seem to be necessarily as strict but it's like the cities that some people are living in are much more strict about that stuff so here for the most part in alberta it's pretty well straight across the board um you get the odd place that like a small little hick town might have its own little bylaw no boas or something um but out east, I know it's a lot different. Like, you can have a city where you can't have retics, and then guys will have a facility 30 minutes out of town, and they have retics. Yeah. But Alberta's pretty much just across the board. Uh, you either can or you can't. Okay. And what was the uh, what was what were they wanting to know about the stingrays when they showed up initially? They wanted money. Uh, Were like they worried about like, like an invasive species kind of concern or like, no, they just wanted me to pay for a business license and to pay for the, the land permit. But at that time it wasn't a big operation. Like it was like, I had a 450 gallon tank of two, 300 gallon tanks and my stingrays mm -hmm. had babies and I sold the first litter on Kijiji. Uh, and I tried to explain that to them, but then they got me on the reptile thing and they're like, well, do you have a Facebook page? Do you have business cards? And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the Calgary was doing it weird because I always thought that it was if you made a certain amount, if you had a certain income from it. Mm -hmm. But for them, it was like, apparently, if you had more than three of that animal and one litter a year, then you're a business, I guess. So Really? Yeah. And then the stingrays were a little bit different than guppies, apparently. So. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Government's always got to wet their beak, man. They oh, like yeah. to leave it vague on purpose, man. Of course. Like they of see, course. We see it down here all the time with the legislations and stuff that pop up. Like, they, they leave a lot of gray area in there to where it's like whatever works best for them is what they're going to roll with, you know. Oh, they do it with dogs, too. Oh, I'm sure. If it's muscular and has short hair, then it could be, you know, a problem. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But not, uh, yeah, I worked for the better anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's great, man. That's uh, something that could have gone really south 
and it blossomed into something great. So that's that's good. Yeah, that way it was like three weeks. We hummed and hawed, and then we found a building. And then uh, me and my ex went into our job of nine years at the time, uh, and then just gave our notice. I'm like, all right, I guess we're doing it. Didn't even nice. know anybody in Red Deer. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's the best way to do it, man. Yeah. But there must be, I know, a, a good amount of people keeping herbs and stuff there because, you know, obviously you couldn't open a, a storefront necessarily and, and be able to keep it rolling if you didn't have enough of a customer base. So what's that? Sort oh, of yeah. So you got, I mean, there's that small handful of like what I would consider like true hobbyists that have got big collections and stuff. Like I could, I don't know, probably think of maybe five people. Um and the rest is kind of your typical, like, you know, we want to get a reptile. Um, all good. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like kind of filling the same spot as like Petland would in terms of the store. Um, but then I have a lot of big displays in the store. I've got, uh, I think like 80, 80 something tanks in the shop. So everybody likes to come in and just look around and then they get into it and they really, it escalates. But most of the kind of more rare, expensive stuff, um, that's all shipped out east. Most of that doesn't sell here. Maybe at an expo, but not in Red Deer. Yeah. So is the is the shop mostly reptiles and amphibians, or is it mostly aquatics? Mostly reptiles. Honestly, um, nobody even sees the rays unless they know me or they catch me on the spot and like, can I please see the stingrays? Uh, I have no aquariums in the actual storefront, but I have, basically I have, it's around 6,700 square feet. Nice. Uh, and then the shop itself, no, uh, the shop itself is only thousand square foot. Okay. Yeah. That's an incredible back area, man. That's a lot of, that's a lot of space. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's uh, well, two levels, two levels of animals. And then I live on the top, which I, try not to have too many animals in there but yeah <laughs> famous last words yeah you can never have too many quarantine <laughs> rooms yeah right jeff frederick said he's curious to know what inventory most supports the uh the business you know is it dry goods is it is it animals is it a pretty even split feeders feeders 100 percent feeders yeah are you doing those yourself too no well i have a rodent room um but mainly to supply myself with like fresh pinkies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I often, since I cut it in half, cause the stingrays kept taking space. Um, often I'll end up having to order in live still um, just to fill the demand. Cause there's a lot of people in the surrounding towns out here that get live from me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for sure. Feeder insects is like all day long, steady uh, and substrate feeders yeah. and substrate really. Uh, and then, you know, you get your typical bread and butter, bearded dragons, leopard geckos. Um, all of that is really what, what keeps it going. And then on the off season, like when the store is slow is when all the stuff that I produce is kind of ready to go and ship out. So if the store is slow, then all my personal sales really ramp up and I'm mm -hmm. shipping stuff out. So that's where my, my particular situation works well for me. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, um, we had a, a local shop here that has closed down temporarily, so they say. I don't know, but you, I didn't realize how many people were buying rodents from them until people started 
posting the groups, the local groups, saying, I need feeder rodents. And I, you know, I breed my own, but I don't have enough to really support a ton of people with it. And they all want mediums and they're all for ball pythons. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't have awesome. any of that right now. Yeah. <laughs> and are you breeding rats or mice too? Or? Both and ASFs. I, oh, yeah. So you got the works. Um, but I don't know. I'm down to my last group of mice because I had a, a pretty gnarly crash with some of the weather and stuff we had here recently. And um, I'm down to like one group. So I don't, those might be gone, gone here in the near future. I'm not sure, but we'll see. Yeah, Hopefully we'll bounce back. In Alberta, we can't even have rats. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just ASFs and mice. Which is so bizarre because, like, in Georgia, which is, I mean, I'm in South Carolina, Phil's in Florida, so Georgia's, you know, nestled right there. Like, you're not allowed to have, it, have ASFs. You know, Georgia has all kinds of goofy rules, but it's That's just... Weird. I, it is. Yeah, and I don't... I think it's the same thing with, like, the tegus and stuff where people think that if people have them, they're going to get loose and take over and be falling out of the trees and... Oh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but what is the... Uh, as far as sort of the ratio of, of stuff you're producing to, like, imported stuff, how's that, how's that played out? I have been trying to stop getting imported stuff. Um, I mainly, well, I guess starting in 2013 is when I was getting tons of imports. Um, but it was mainly to build my own personal collection. Uh, and then I've almost built the dream collection now. There's just a few more species I need. Um, so I pretty much try to avoid it. Um, yeah, and then in the shop, like, I mean, I'll carry stuff like, you know, anoles or mountain horn dragons and, and stuff like that. But otherwise, I try and source it all out captive bred, um, even a lot of those weird niche species. Um, it's better that way. Something like flying snakes and stuff like that here and there. Right. Um, but for the most part, I've been trying to avoid it. Uh, it's just a headache, really. Yeah. I mean, you think about the sheer numbers you've got to get and then sort of the, I guess you kind of do have to do the math and be like, okay, if I'm getting 50 animals, I can expect X to, to not make it. And then, you know, this many to just not take off over a longer period of time. And then finally I'm left with a core group that, that do get established and seem to be okay. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's a numbers game. I'm definitely not the guy to bring them in and unpack them and, throw them up for sale in the store either. Um, like I put them in quarantine and I deal with them and get them in shape and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's, it's just not worth it really. Um, and it's kind of sad because half the time it's like a wild caught animal that comes in just to be a pet, to not reproduce, not do anything, mm -hmm. just drug around the house all day, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. So that kind of bothers me too. That is something that I do think about that kind of, it's also a bummer, you know, these animals get, get plucked and then they get shipped and then they make it to, you know, wherever their final destination is only to, to roll, you know, a month yeah. or three months later. And it's, it sucks, but, um, you know, there's some species that, that handle it better than others. Um, but you know, oh, it is what it is. It's just finding the right people to, to be able to 
get them get them going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. People want to see the dog. What's that? People want to see the dog. It's in the group chat. They're hey, dem- demanding to see the canid. Come here, Scooch. There's two, but this is the one that's being a little turd. And uh, what you, earlier you made like a little, oh, look at that. <laughs> look at that. Got the spinach? The right, smushiest face. Yeah, we got the pair of them. <laughs> so much smush. All right, you come up to you. All right, all right, all right. And there's the other one. <laughs> Dog's bigger than you, boy. You know, the funny thing is their head only comes to the bottom of my knee. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right, pal. Cool. Er, earlier in the group chat, I guess you had made like a like a hey, like like a little like be good, you know, symbol to the dog. Oh and, yeah. And somebody somebody chimed in like, "Let's see the dog." And I was thinking, man, I really hope that's not his significant other. <laughs> Is we, yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I'm gonna put in my. Wow. That's great, man. That's my. good. Did I tell yeah, you we I got, got another dog? You got another dog? We did. I've been out of the group chat so much. Did you put it in the group chat? Yeah. It's been okay. like two weeks. Is it a puppy or another adult? No, she's like two years old. Nice. Excellent. About. Good for you, man. Congrats. She fits in well. Excellent. And uh, how's the cat handling it? Not, not great. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, a, whole, that's a whole thing. Cat. She's inside, probably sleeping. Otherwise, I would. That's she, awesome. She hogged the uh, the whole chair. What kind of dog you got? She's some sort of a, a mix. I think she's got some beagle in her, and probably some pit. Because at this point, I think just about everything does. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she was, you know, she was a rescue. We got her from the uh, the local shelter. Had a, a foster family that had her, so we. Found her, and I told Katie, I was like, let's get her. Because we had been talking about getting another one before Christmas and stuff, but we decided to wait until after because we were going to be out of town and yeah, didn't want to leave, you know, a, a new dog in the house and not know what they're going to do to everything and, you know, that thing. So, For um, sure. As far as the imports, something I was, you know, curious about with that is uh, sort of your protocol for, for treatment and how that varies between things like varanids and and snakes and everything else um you know how long are, are you waiting to treat them for a while is it completely species dependent Do you have sort of a game plan with, with various sort of genre or, or species in general yeah every i wait for everything i don't treat anything internally right away um i find they'll just crash it's too much for them um for me typically Anything that I bring in, usually what I do with the imports, I pretty much do this with anything that I get from any breeders too. Um, first thing for me, like wherever I'm working, like I lay out, I've got those 1500 foot rolls of blank white newsprint. I'll cover the whole area with it. And then I get bins um, of just water. And then I unpack everything, stick it in the water and completely dispose of all the packaging as I'm going. And then I'll let them soak in there for a couple hours and they'll drink, like they'll chug the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then from there, I'll add uh, like some Dawn dish soap. Uh, after they've been in there for an hour or two and drank what they're going to drink, I'll add the dish soap. And that's mainly to handle mites. Uh, I find, especially like imports are going to drink, uh, especially if you're dealing with stuff like vine snakes and like that, you can't even spray them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I've gotten away from using like, I used to, I know everybody in Canada and I believe it's similar elsewhere. I uh, use like the NYX cream rinse for head lice. Yeah. But I noticed half the time these things are just chugging any liquid that goes near them. Yeah. Um, so I've started, I've moved over to the Dawn and then I treat the enclosures. I, like everything goes on white paper. Uh, and then I treat the enclosure with preventamite. Mm -hmm. and I treat everything like the whole racks, everything. Um, and often I'll try and keep them in containers with lids. And if it's smaller stuff, like often I find smaller boreal stuff comes with a lot of mites. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll use something with a really good ceiling lid and then I'll just have the ventilation in the top and you can use like double-sided tape around the ventilation. So if you get mites that come out, they at least stick to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I just will repeat that um, probably like once a week, at least, usually a couple times a week, depending what it is, or if there's like a known issue or not. Right. And that's kind of my go-to for the first while, like until I get them feeding and everything. Um, I usually don't worry about internal stuff till, well, it really depends what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a long while after. It's, it's usually no more or no less than a month. Like, right bare minimum a month. Um, but it's usually ends up being multiple months. Um, I want to get them feeding and just adjusted. Uh, I keep them really isolated, like pretty much all my personal stuff only ever sees me. Um, they might see one or two other people ever. Um, and that's pretty well how I do it. Uh, in terms of internal stuff, um, like I was always dealing with things like, uh, Fenbendazole, Flagyl, um, Praziquantel for tapeworms and stuff. But now in Canada, it's next to impossible to get medications. Um, and even yeah. my just left Canada. Uh, so now for me, I pretty much, any of that stuff, I have to take it to the vet, um, mm -hmm. which I currently haven't really decided on a new vet that I would like to use. It's a tough decision these days. Yeah, and in Canada, there's not a lot of like, especially in my end in Ontario, I think it's a little better. Um, not much experience. Like, so it's, it's, it's not just Canada, man. <laughs> yeah, right. You yeah. bring something you're like, Oh, I've never seen this before. Like, you know, I've been asked, you know, like on a scale of one to 10, what would you rate this thing's body condition? Because I don't know that what this is. It's like, well, I mean, I'm paying you for the exam. Like, right. Let me tell you. Uh, Trade me. Yeah. Yeah. So, now that end of it is kind of difficult, um, mm -hmm. which is also part of why I try and avoid it at this point. Um, but on average, like things like little frogs and stuff like that, if I'm bringing it in, I'll often keep it for a month, maybe two months or whatever. But quite often it's too early for to do all that internal stuff. Right. So if it's really healthy and doing well, like, I mean, that could be on the new purchaser, right? Um, mm -hmm. There'll never be anything external from me. Like I always will clean any of that up before it ever goes anywhere. 
outside of my quarantine rooms. Right. Right. Um, but it really just depends. Yeah. For my personal animals, I take it easy, like emeralds and stuff. I'll usually quarantine for 12 to 18 months, um, before they come anywhere near my collection. Uh, so I take it really slow with my personal stuff. Excellent. What's been the biggest, biggest struggle with those? Cause I know a lot of people here, I mean, it's so hit or miss, like, uh, you know, Casey can is a good example. He got some emeralds and, you know, they would do great for him and then they'd just start to have issues. And it's like, as soon as that ball started rolling downhill, it was, it was a disaster. Um, yeah. So what's your, where those been? For me, the emeralds are a nightmare compared to like green trees and stuff. Like I've heard people say the opposite, but for me, a green tree is like a ball python. They just seem to do well. Um, but emeralds, I think it's just this severe dehydration they go through. Cause it's like a chameleon in snake form, you know, like, yeah. They've got to stay hydrated. Otherwise they're done. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with hydration, to be honest. Um, but that's, I noticed like even last year I took a gamble and I brought in some, some fresh imports from a wholesaler. They showed up and it was kind of typical wholesaler thing. I'm like, can you send me pictures of them? Like it's for a breeding situation. Like I want to make sure I'm getting good ones. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then they show up and it's like, one had a bit of body weight. The other two were super skinny. Their heads were sunken in. Like, oh. One immediately puked. Um, the other one puked a couple weeks after it ate. It started puking. Uh, and then the third one did okay for a while. Um, it, you know, had probably four or five meals and then started puking. Uh, and those animals were completely isolated, like, the three of them were in the same room, mm -hmm. no other animals in that room. Like it was a spare bedroom in my apartment. Um, but those animals were in bags shipped together in the same box. You know what I mean? They were probably yeah. in tubs together, um, with the wholesaler. So the regurge has, has been the number one issue for me with fresh wild caught emeralds. Um, and I honestly feel like a lot of it, like, because, you hear all kinds of stuff like chlamydia and crypto right. and all this. Um, but I find the really well hydrated ones don't seem to have as much of an issue. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like a lot of it personally has a lot to do with how dehydrated they get along the way. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. I don't, I mean, I've heard the, like the avian chlamydia thing and it's, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure there that's, that's, obviously a thing but it's like is it a thing with every single import that comes in you know it's that's probably a, a question for dr booth i'm sure but <clears throat> uh, yeah you know it's like is it is it i think that that kind of becomes one of those things where like that's people's first assumption and then it becomes sort of the standard for oh it's regurging it must be avian chlamydia like what else would it be and well and i've tried to have that dealt with like in a precautionary way with imports here um, and pretty much every vet that I've, I've asked out here just says, um, just keep good quarantine protocol. I'm like, well, I would like to just know. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So that hasn't worked too well for me. Um, but I'm the emeralds. Honestly, I'm really trying to avoid like mm -hmm. I'm at the point with all my arboreals where I'm just trying to hold back anything that I produce and then just build it up from there. Yeah. Uh, although I do need to find some more male animals. 
Um, Lisa asked earlier if you do any exporting to the U.S. I mean, I would like to. I would really like to, especially with some of these monitors, because um, I'm a little overrun sometimes. Um, it's just so expensive. Like, I looked into exporting Apodora um, somewhere to Europe, I believe, and it was going to be like three grand, mm-hmm. um, like fifteen hundred on each end. So if I you're you referring to airfare or just like fees in Canada and export oh, taxes? Totally. Like for society, okay. for the shipping Everything. in general. And so what I would like to figure out, I would love to find a way to do group shipments um, and arrange whether it was to somebody who is doing for resale or to like a group of people who are shipping in. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to start doing exports. Um, you know, you get, you know, six to 10 guys even, and that really breaks it down to a manageable level. Uh, for so sure, I'm not opposed to it for sure. Now, yeah, on the, on the Abadora, um, how many animals was that? That was for one animal. Somebody just wanted wow. one. Snake. Yeah, so it wasn't worth it, right? Like yeah. I was selling the snake. Well, I was selling them for two thousand Canadian. Okay, which really drops anywhere else, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're like someone who's started doing that with corns is wire forests, uh, reptiles. He's in the UK, but he started shipping stuff in bulk to Elizabeth Nash in Texas, and she sells. And I'm assuming it's like a consignment kind of thing they have going on. But they they've now set it up to where I think like once or twice a year he sends her a box full of corn snakes, like a sizable box, so that it's worth the effort and, and money of shipping things. Um, that's how they started doing it. And you know, what, what Jeff was saying too is, is Don, I think does, does a similar thing with, with Casey here in Georgia, uh, you know, where they have like bulk shipments of sorts just to, to make it worth the, worth the work. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Like, cause the market for a lot of the stuff that I work with is not huge here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like sometimes it'll take me two years to sell, you know, a clutch or a litter of something. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of people that are obviously it's way easier now because we have, you know, Facebook and Google and the Internet and all that jazz. But a long time ago, it was you pay for your own shipment and you commiserate with your friend as to what you want and what you want them to send. So, for example, you know, if I had a friend in Johannesburg and I said, hey, I want a bunch of. Uh, captive bred baby bittus and they go all right cool i want a box of captive bred diamondbacks and corn snakes and the money was almost irrelevant because both sides had the desired species that they wanted whether it was for their own personal collection or resale so each of you just paid your respective airfare and cites whatever and it wound up being like 1200 bucks each because the animals weren't part of the ticket you know Mm -hmm. So if you have that opportunity where you are breeding a bunch of stuff and let's say you have someone in the UK or Germany or the Netherlands and you're communicating with them or Sweden and you say, all right, you know, my buddy in Sweden's got a bunch of white lip pythons and I've got some Apodora. Let's swap, you know, animals for animals and, and you figure out what would be fair. And then you're just paying the, the money that goes into the actual transport. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be the ideal way to do it. Larger numbers. Yeah. I did send some some beards to to Gillen though last year, 
last year, the year before. I think it was earlier last year. And that was surprisingly painless because I was fully expecting it to be way more work than it actually was. And I mean, that's a non-sighty species. So yeah, that's a big deal. Pretty, pretty straightforward, but I had no idea that it was that, that simple. And, and actually really price wise, wasn't that much more. Who did you do it through? Uh, Reptiles Express. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Canada. So we have Reptiles Express here, but then there's a, a one in Canada that's Reptiles Express as well. And I thought they were the same company. They just had like Mike, Big Mike at, at Reptiles Express had just figured out some way to have like a Canadian version, but they're two separate entities entirely, which I didn't realize until yeah, yeah. more research. But yeah, it was, it was really straightforward. So. Yeah, that's not too, yeah, they make it easy, but the, yeah, the CITES is kind of tax on. Yeah. Which, well, everything I think the CITES, but yeah. Is there any, uh, country or locality that in your experience the government has been less um accommodating no mainly okay. for the fact that i i don't do any of the importing okay yeah i always tack on um so i don't really have to deal with any of those difficult logistics fair enough apparently there's like a you know i've seen the issues in indonesia but that's all secondhand so right i just know that because like in the states our u.s fish and wildlife obviously each state in the u.s has their own rules and regs but u.s fish and wildlife has particular animals and or particular countries of origin regardless whether it was captive bred somewhere else they have a a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a law; it's a recommendation to yeah. not allow those things to come in. So it depends on who's at the port that day. Mm-hmm. I recently, I don't know if you consider it searched, but oh, basically, I've had my whole facility searched. Uh, I think three times in the last six months. Really. Uh, where I got to open every cage, give them the Latin name. They would like phone numbers and names of who I got it from and when I got it from and how I got it and this and that. Um, and it's kind of been the same. I'm like, well, I was already in Canada. So, and they're like, well, I'm like, okay, so what do I do? What do I have to? And they're like, well, no, it's just good protocol. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I got it off Kijiji. So, I, you know, I don't know. Things been floating around for ten years. And for those of them, for those of us who don't know what Kijiji is, you mind explaining that one? It's to be honest, I thought you guys had it too. <laughs> um, it's just like online, like your typical like like buy and sell bargain finder, like, like it's all Craigslist. categories, car, yeah, yeah Canadian Craigslist. <laughs> uh, it is. It's Craigslist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's like so many people get animals off there, um, but yeah, it's that's the only thing I've really experienced like that. Um, they've gone through my stuff a lot and like, where did this come from? Where did that guy get it from? Where did that guy get it from? And then you kind of ask what the goal is and they, yeah, like, what, why? Yeah. Yeah. there's no particular goal. <laughs> 
I think it goes back to them wanting, needing to wet their beak, and they just they want to know who they're going to tax next or who they're going to look at next, and all about that power and control, man. Yeah, yeah, they got to know. They got to know. So. Just that's what I don't understand, especially with stuff like that. And then in Florida, it's like there's no way there's enough money in this to make this worth your your while to. Like, do you not have bigger things to be worried about? Like, is there not? Is there nothing else more important going on? Or or is it that they can't catch the big fish, but if they catch enough little fish? Yeah, they're looking for more with the cast net than you can a fishing pole. There you go. Yeah. uh, uh, Yeah. You just deal with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm pretty good. Like, I try and cooperate and just be like, all right, let me show you everything. Yeah. Changed. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean that's going to be the probably the the best way to stay on their good side in terms of cooperation and them realizing after so many searches that you're you know you're not up to anything shady. You know? Yeah, I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to breed all the stuff that people are importing so that you don't have to import it. So, like the last guy to be searching. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, how it, it must be pretty difficult, though, to get a lot of that stuff up there, though, because I know I've heard people, there's a lot of species people want in Canada, and they're just, they're not there because no one's brought them in, or, you know, maybe there were some people that were breeding them at one point or another, but they just don't have them anymore, and they kind of just fade into oblivion. So how's that? How's that? It is tough. So I noticed, like, you guys seem to have, you know, a lot of, like, big importers, that are constantly bringing in, say, Indo, right? Um, whereas here, I can think of like two. Um, one is a wholesaler that has a, a, a pet store. And so that's not something that they offer that you could get on there and say, hey, look, I'm looking for white lips or popping pythons. Yeah. They are just solely bringing in somewhat frequent shipments of, you know, tree frogs, mountain horn dragons, uh, blue tongue skinks, red eye crocodile skinks, whatever is like pet store quality that they can put on a wholesale list. Right. Um, you don't see any of that cool stuff, like any of the oddball pythons or monitors or anything like that. Um, and then there's another one that, that I get on with. Um, that Ashley? What's that? Is that Ashley? No. Uh, so I guess by importers, I mean different, like importing from the country of origin, wild animals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Ashley's bringing in like captive bread for the right. most part. Right. Um, no, are these like, yeah, bringing in basically farmed or wild caught stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's like two people really, uh, and only one of which. I can get on with and get say pop wins and white lips and whatever else savus, which not anymore, but oh, yeah. I, say, I haven't seen those in a minute. No, my savus, man, I got them in 2013. And then from these particular imports every year after that, you'd order savus and they send you Mac lots. So I don't know what happened there. Um, as far as I know, they can be exported, but, I haven't seen it. 
Yeah, I don't know, they really fell off the radar here, radar here too, because there was a point where they were they were pretty easy to get a hold of, and I think they were under three hundred bucks. And then over time, it just they just disappeared. You know, there's I can really only think of a handful of people off the top of my head that even have some, let alone are trying to breed them. Yeah, because that was a species I wanted for a long time when I was when I was a kid. And That'd be wonderful. Never, never, never made it happen. You know what they're going for out there nowadays? I want to say like close to eight hundred, maybe a grand. I don't. It, For regulars. Oh yeah. Yeah, I gotta start shipping to the states. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the for whatever reason, man. The the, the you know the supply just kind of disappeared, and I don't know if it was a, a export thing or what or. Because I don't know that they're any more difficult to breed than, than anything else. Uh, I would assume once you're breeding captive bred, then they're probably not a problem. Yeah. But everybody hopped on the morph train and forgot about all the, the brown snakes. True that. Yeah. Now, the, uh, what's been the most difficult part with, with importing monitors? I mean, that's that's sort of an entire other level of... of you know, regimen and protocol and stuff when you're dealing with something that's that's considerably smarter than than most snakes and stuff. Yeah. You're with, you know, it's what's the biggest hurdle there? I prefer them over snakes. Um, besides female tree monitors, um, they usually seem to do pretty well. They often have tapeworms, um, but popwins often always have tapeworms too. Mm -hmm. um, I find them to be pretty good. Uh, hatchlings I find are often super dehydrated, mm -hmm. uh, but if you get good ones, then they're no problem. Uh, the problem that I find is you can't get them and put them in a glass tank with a screen top, like most things. Yeah. Um, they don't handle it. They'll just crash and dehydrate or smash on the walls. But if you, pretty much any monitors I get in, they go into either like a plywood box, like the one behind me, um, but very simplistic, loaded with, you know, cork and branches, whatever, a lot of security, super high humidity and, uh, or PVC cage, same thing with, uh, just a lot of heat, a lot of humidity and a lot of privacy. Uh, and they seem to do really well. Uh, same thing. Like I don't, deal with any internal parasite issues um, for months, like until they're gaining weight or if they're bloated and they're eating a lot, you know what I mean? And they're not gaining any body weight, then obviously yeah. you have to deal with the internal issue sooner than later. Um, or you'll see, you know, tapeworms in the water dish or you'll see it hanging out of their, you know, mm -hmm. but no, I find with them, like with most of it, it's, it's heat, humidity, privacy. So when I get them in, like, for example, I'm waiting on, um, you know, some blue tree monitors and torch monitors and the cages that are set up are plywood, UVB heat mounted inside. Mm -hmm. I don't go as simplistic with them as I do with the snakes. Um, it just doesn't seem to work that well with them. And they're all just loaded with bark and cork. Um, and that's that. I soak them. 
I, I search them over for any, you know, ticks or whatever. Their cages are preventamided as well because mm-hmm. um, they come in the same box as everything else, right? And I just put them in there and that's that. I change the water every day. Um, I give them dishes of food so I can really see. Uh, and as long as they're small, like, I just pound it with insects. Uh, and often you don't really see the monitors much for the first month or two. Yeah, I bet. Um, you see that the water's dirty every day. Uh, and then you walk in the room and you'll see them fly off the basking spot and disappear. Mm-hmm. But I also have uh, these like ways cameras. Yeah. So I go on my phone. Yeah. Even like my tricolors. That's the only time I can like, or my blue tails. That's the only time I can watch them actually do any activities um, is on my phone through the cameras. Now, do you think that's because of, and this is not a slight at you at all, but because you don't, for lack of a better word, interact with them as much as you would say a pet, they just don't have that comfortability with you yet? I. If you only had two, they would have warmed up to you a, a lot better. But because you have a whole collection, it may be that you're just interacting less with them. Do you think that's the, the case? I think to an extent. Yeah. And, and with species. Yeah. Um, Cause I used to really interact a lot with my monitors before I had 40 of them. Um, but I noticed with a lot of the high strung species, when you, I don't think there is a way to like yeah. say with the tricolors. Yeah. Yeah. Not a chance, man. Like, if I, when I've had to move them, cause I just upgraded their cages. I'm like worried about them dying from just the event of me having to catch them. Cause they, soon as you come to them, they flip out, they're smashing off the walls and then they panic to the point where they launch at you and like bite and shake their head and then run and smash off the walls again. And like until you yeah. them, but the first year almost that I had them, I would just, I would see that they were out. I would not make eye contact because they're very aware of your eye contact. And I would just act normal, do things in the room and just casually walk by them. If they made eye contact, I would just, you know, slowly blink and not stare at them. And they eventually learn that they could bask all day in front of me and I'm not going to touch them. Whereas if I tried to open the cage and interact, it was about right. So then they got to the point where I could walk up and if I would do this, they were smashing the front of the cage with their mouth open, like flipping out. And I couldn't even open the cage anymore to do anything without them trying to get to me because they knew that I wasn't going to touch them and it was just food. Mm-hmm. So species like that. Yeah. But then the tree monitors are really intelligent and curious. So I can show them food and they'll walk up to me, grab onto the container and investigate it. But the, the blue tails and the tricolors, I don't think you could without losing it digit you know what i mean you'd have to get a small <laughs> yeah. cage and catch them but and again small cages right if you keep like my hatchling monitors a lot of them hatch and i put them in the store from day one um, mm-hmm. well, like a few, i keep them in a rack for a few days um and then i put them in cages in the store those ones man you're changing the water and the quince monitors and everything they're jumping on you climbing up your arms you're mm-hmm. putting one off another one's jumping on you but my holdbacks go into just four by two by twos to start in the back. And they don't see, you know, 30 people a day. Yeah. 
and the cage is bigger, right? Like I start my baby Indicus complex stuff for the most part in, you know, 36 by 18 exoterras with the tops covered and it's a small cage, right? So they get tame right away. So that's kind of how you go about it, but I don't care about them being tame. Yeah. I just want them to grow and feel comfortable and breathe. Well, to reproduce. Yeah. Whereas if it's a pen, I'm hauling it out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. They might not care to reproduce so much. Sure. Sure. And uh, forgive me if you covered this earlier, but do you ever do any of the roughneck complex? I got a little discouraged. Um, okay. I had Ruticolis. Okay. And they were breeding like crazy. My female was huge. That would have only been the second species of monitor that I would have reproduced. Um, and it was when she was due to lay. So I didn't have as much of an eye for it at the time. And it was, she was due to lay when we were moving cities. Damn. And so what we were doing is we were still working full time and then we get off work and then we load up, make a trip an hour and a half to Red Deer, unload a bunch of stuff, go back work in the morning or I would stay here for two days and work on the building. And so we were moving like 200 something animals while she was due to lay and they're, I had the pair together still. And I think she wasn't, well, I don't know. I don't know if she wasn't satisfied with the nesting option, but I ended up losing her. Um, uh, and when we opened her up, she had an egg lodged sideways right in her vent, right in between her hips. And it was so lodged sideways that I, it was very difficult for me to remove it physically. Um, like I could hardly rip it out Wow! and she had five fertile eggs, uh, and three slugs. So the, after that, I, I had my male for a good year or two and I just couldn't find a female and I, I decided to get out of it Yeah. And mm-hmm. focus more on mainly Indicus complex, but then I've got the tree monitors and spinulosis and dwarfs as well. Very cool. Very cool. But you can only work with so many of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I shipped out well, I downsized again. Um, because previously I I my girlfriend at the time was with it. Um, and then after she left, it's just me that does everything. Um, like the store and the breeding and everything. So I recently just sent out a bunch like Serambonensis, Samilis, Mertens, um, some more Molinus, a breeding pair Molinus, uh, Pilbaras. Nice. Uh, so I, I scaled back a fair bit. Very cool, that's, man. That's one you definitely don't see see much down here either is, is Pilbaras. Yeah. Oh, they're wonderful, yeah. Yeah, dream species for me, man. They're, they're a really cool little monitor. Um, I think I like the Kimberleys a little better. I say, are you keeping Kims? I am, yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, they're fun. Um, I like I just like how flat and streamlined the Kims are. Mm-hmm. And they do not bite. Like, like I'll catch them out to do something, and you know when they start squirming out, and you got them by the back hips and they're swing their body. They just they won't bite even in that particular moment. But whereas my Pilbaras, if I were to catch them, they'd try and bite. Yeah, yeah. I try I to some Kims eventually. I, I had my Ackies for a bit, but Kims would definitely. 
be the sort of the for, first stop when I when I take that dive again. Oh, they're worth it. Yeah. <clears throat> Super cool, man. Do you dabble in any Cordillas? Girdle tail lizards? No. I, I found that there is a small smattering of Canadians that have a handful of them. Uh, but it's it's just like anywhere else in the world. It's super niche, and only those people know each other, and that's it. Yeah, I have <laughs> uh, one of those. Yeah. Do you? I, I do. I keep Rhodesianus, but uh, my buddy and I, we used to keep a lot of them. And I know uh, I gave him the, the last of mine, except for the Rhodesians. And then he went up selling a couple that went to people in the Midwest, which in turn I know went to Canada. So, But, again, this is a few years back, so. But you guys do get a lot of different imports that we don't, you know, in the group chat earlier, they were talking about Fiji Island iguanas and such. I have those. Oh, that's killer, man. Killer. (laughs) Yeah, me and my buddy, uh, my buddy Daniel and I went in on a pair of them. Wild, man. I've never seen them in person. It's crazy. They're cool. They're cool because they're just such a delicate if you could say soft-spoken, like, sure, sure. You know, like they're just very shy and calm and you get them on your hand and like, you know, yeah, they're, they're not like a greeny one. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, they're cool. I'm hoping to get, they were young when I got them and I got one infertile clutch of eggs. Um, so I'm hoping this summer to get a, some fertile eggs out of them. Very cool, man. Super cool. Another species that just doesn't make sense why we're not allowed to have them. Yeah, that one's weird. That one is really weird. Very. I mean, 10 years ago, I, I would have never thought that you'd have them here. Um, and now they're, you know what I mean? If you got the money, you can go buy a pair tomorrow. I can buy a pair. What, what do they cost? <laughs> uh, 2500 for a female and like 1500 for a male. Okay. Canadian, yeah. Do- doable, doable. Yeah, yeah, not terrible. I mean, the female kind of hurts because it's just for like a green lizard. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what snakes are you are you breeding for the for the shop? For the shop? Yeah, I mean both, like personal projects and and for the shop. Um, for the shop, like specifically for the shop that I'm not super passionate about. I guess the only thing that I really breed is uh, um, the beardies. Uh, and I was breeding a lot of your mastics, um, but I've been getting rid of them all over the last couple of months. Um, as far as snakes go, boas, I am working with, I do a lot of doom rolls. Um, I've got a long Madagascar ground that I can't find a female for. Um, I do a lot of Amazon tree boas. Emeralds I've yet to produce, but I've got a good handful of them. Um, the Dominican Red Mountain boas, the Bahama boas. I think that's it for. Well, I got. I recently got a pair of Argentine boas. Uh, I've got striped Surinams. Um, I've over the last year I've gotten rid of all of my morphs, Colombian morphs and stuff. I just don't want to breed any of that. Like, if I can go buy it from a buddy, I just don't really care to breed it because um, there's enough. Sure, and then sure. pythons, I'm doing green tree pythons, and then I've got water pythons, maclots, olive pythons. I have a lone dunce python. Um, 
poplins. I've got Timor pythons, gold white lips, black white lips, ring pythons. Uh, well, Sabu's, like you said. Got the last is covered, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, a, it's like a fine scaled iridescent python. Yeah, I'm there. Uh, the uh the timors or should i say lesser sunda pythons any luck with them yeah <laughs> horrible um <laughs> at uh, least he's uh, honest kids the opposite of luck uh yeah, yeah. i had a, the biggest fee i didn't even know they got this big um i had a nine and a half foot female and her nice. head was you know like this yeah um really old uh i lost her she was egg bound and then i had a younger pair that were siblings to Don Patterson's that he produced with, I think two years ago. Um, and they were breeding and then the female developed a, a growth on her trachea. Mm. Really? And I took her in and the vet was very hesitant. She said, that's a tricky operation. They removed the growth and it appeared to be wonderful. And then a month later she dropped it. Oh, uh, so now I have two males. So are, not, are your rings as, as horrible as everyone else's? No. Um, they're better than my white lips. Uh, <laughs> the female is really good. The male sometimes is really good if you catch him when he's moving or something. Um, but if you just open it and he's coiled up, yeah, you go near him and he springs open and, and is not very happy. Um, but they're not terrible, actually, mine. Which I've got them. I mean, everyone I've talked to that's Adam is just they're like they're they're horrible. They're, yeah, mine are pretty good. I I only had one other one in the past, and he was really good too. Mm -hmm. So I, I got lucky there. Nice. And uh, your water pythons? Do you guys have localities up there or no? Fuck no. Um, <laughs> currently, I'm giving my female to my helper um, because mine are different localities that I'm breeding. Okay. Uh, my female is like eight feet. Um, wow. It's big around is Popkin almost. Jesus. Um, really square head, that really square light colored head, you know, and that all of the body. Yeah. Um, whereas my male is like four feet, maybe um, okay. little pointy head eyes on the top. Yeah. Uh, out here, there was no water pythons. You couldn't get them. Like, nobody had them. And just recently, over, like, the last three, four years, um, I've seen a couple of people with pairs now. Nice. Uh, these ones, like, the female, I bought her when I was, like, 15. And then I sold her. And then she went out east. And then four years ago, I found her again and bought oh, her. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And then I produced a couple of clutches out of her. I held back one female and then I got a nicer pair of babies off somebody else um, that are a smaller locality. I don't know specifically which locality. Um, and so I'm raising those up and then I'm just giving my helper the big female because I don't want to be yeah. Yeah. when they're that different, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's cool, man. Harry That's wants to know how you get a, a yearling asshole doomerals to eat before they become king food. Uh, just don't feed it for a long time. Uh, no, 
Doom Give rolls, a, I find that. Give like, it a snake. What's that? Give it a snake. The Doom rolls. Yeah. Yeah. I find ASFs, man. If I give them an ASF, they snap it. Well, anybody who says they have a Doom rolls that doesn't eat, if you throw in a frozen thawed snake, it will be gone in the morning. I have never considered it. Yeah. And when you produce Doom rolls and you have 10 babies, but you only have five drawers, don't double it up. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because in the morning, you will have five really fat babies. I never would have thought. And then two days later, you will have 10 dead snakes. Yeah, yeah. Because they will throw them all back up. Crazy. I never would have considered it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. The mistakes I've made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The things you know. Now you know, yeah. No, no seriously, have, though, like uh, anybody who, who has a Doom Rolls that doesn't eat, I tell them, like, Find someone who has a, a, a snake in their freezer, and even if you do some frozen scenting or just thaw out like a corn or a king or something and give it to them, they'll take it. I'm gonna try that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, go, go through all the go through all the the the, the standard the trial, the usual trials first, you know. And if that's like if, if you're a few months in and the thing's like I'm dying, give it a corn snake. <laughs> yeah. Do a, let me ask you this. I ask everyone who's on the show the same question who breeds Doomerals. Do your babies and your adults have a bald spot on their chin? Yes. Okay. And you know, I, I'm not sure yet why you're asking. Um, okay. But my, my buddy was out in Madagascar catching Doomerals. And I was asking him, I was like, do they have that spot under the chin, man? Uh -huh. um, and he's like, we didn't look under the chin. Oh, yeah. Dude, man, I was so on. curious. But I'm uh, curious why you asked that. So the there's a couple stories behind it. One, some people say that if you, no one to my knowledge has gone this in depth. But if you take a photo and zoom in really, really close, it's kind of like a whale's fluke, where it may not be an exact fingerprint, but you could at least keep track of lineage and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if I believe that fully, just because it always is kind of, it's always kind of slightly the same depending on who mom was yeah. but there's also a big rumor that the original stock that we have in the western world or western herpetoculture if you want to call it that it's all from the same mom and dad that's why yeah yeah so and like we're going back like 50 years yeah yeah so who no, knows well, i was curious i i wish but they didn't find any more after i had asked him that and it's also crazy because everyone who has ground boas, none of them have a spot. The Madagascar. Yeah. Or the Madagascar answers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, none, yeah. none of them have spots. So. Yeah. yeah. That is interesting. Harry <laughs> said it's artificially alive. It's two years old and has never eaten. <laughs> really? Wow. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> two years long. I, I produced a Paradox Doom Rolls, uh, and it oh, didn't wow. eat the first year. I still have it. It eats good now. Yeah. Uh, Kind of picky here and there. I like ASFs, but yeah, is that what got that one going? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you: Do you think that the paradox is giving it some kind of, I don't want to say genetic defect, but that is the reason why it's not a good eater like Doomerals tend to be? I would say if it wasn't a Doomerals, maybe I would consider it. But I always with Doomerals have a couple that are just okay. I'll get them going no problem, and then I'll sell them, and then the person cannot get it to eat. Mm, yeah. um, 
Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, this last year, the babies were no problem. They all ate actually two days after they were born. Um, but usually I don't have that. Usually I have a few that are kind of a pain and I got to start them on live or something. And then, yeah. How big are your adults? One female is about seven feet. Nice. That's about six feet. And then one male is maybe six feet, five and a half. And the other one's about four foot. Still, it's, it's a big male. Man, I have a picture on my Facebook. Uh, probably the biggest tumors I swear anybody's ever seen. Um, yeah. This thing would compete with the biggest Colombian boy you ever seen. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's pictures on my Facebook of it. Um, and this sucker, like wow like this and a head on it and i bought it off a guy because like i couldn't believe the size of it everything he had was huge that guy um, <laughs> like, that was i have a picture of a curl up in a four by two and it just took up like the whole damn cage wow yeah yeah that thing was that's cool that's cool and I, and since we're on the topic how big is your ground ball small uh really yeah he's a male um might be six foot okay yeah he <laughs> he floated around for a while and then i seen him on kijiji uh for 80 bucks really yeah yeah and i got him and it ended up being a girl i know and she's like i've been trying to get rid of him and i can't get rid of him but the only people that want him are, are idiots that don't know how to look after a snake and so i just wow. got her and she couldn't get rid of the thing so wow. I bucks. yeah I, dude, that's a very expensive snake in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one guy, I think it was like Regis Co. is what he called this thing. And he did those in Sanzinia, um, uh, maybe 12, 15 years ago here. And that was it. And then they all kind of disappeared after that. I found like two males. And there's a private guy out here. But the guys that know him won't tell me who it is. Um, they just okay. keep saying, no, I've got a buddy who's secretly breeding them, but he's not ready to let him sure. go. Like, oh, come on, man. Just yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. The only ones I ever messed with were, um, were zoo stock that were given to a friend so that the zoo could like, I guess, diversify gene flow or something. And then he was supposed to keep them for two years and then he wound up having to get rid of them, but they wound up going back to the zoo or whatever. But the boy was like probably seven foot and the girl was like pushing 11. Yeah. I heard those Maddies can get huge. Yeah, man. Big, big girl. Yeah. I think one's in Canada and they have any, I will buy them. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, so are we ready to talk about flatfish? I, 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 how many how many condors do you have right now? Oh yeah, yeah. let's just talk stick let's snakes. Get, let's get condors, real quick. Well, eleven or twelve. Excellent. A lot of locality stuff, designer stuff. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, um, mainly all pure. I have one animal that's not currently, and another one that I've done a trade for. It's just not in my possession yet. Gotcha. Um, what localities are you keeping? I have a handful of sarongs, uh, a few wild caught adults, and then offspring that I produced. 
Cool. Um, the one female is just a solid bright blue snake. Nice. Um, and then I have an Aru male um, that's just pure yellow, which is odd for an Aru. Yeah, very. Uh, and then I have... Yeah, uh, and then BX. Okay. And nothing, nothing else locality wise. But Excellent. I, uh, I'm basically just kind of looking to continue holding back anything I produce uh, until I've got at least fifty of those things. <laughs> nice. A goal. I like that. Yeah, they're nice. I'd like to see if the blue does anything. I, you know, chances are it's not, but. The female, this blue female I got, I picked her out of a bunch of, of wild imports. I seen her from like 20 feet away. Wow. Um, she looked, now looking at her, if you were to stand back and look at her, you would think she was a, a, a hormonal aru. Mm -hmm. uh, like her whole spine is just white. Oh, wow. Um, but if you've seen her before, she was blue. Um, you know, she came in as a sarong and she looked like a sarong just with a heavy white, but she had a weird color to her. She was not like a, that deep green. She was like a turquoisey color. Sure. And then she had a heavy blue net pattern over her, but nice. she's so blue now that you wouldn't know that she had any patterns previously. Very cool. And the, uh, the yellow Aru is this, it has Aru dorseling, but it, it or is it like almost like a Kofi out just yellow? So it's just yellow, but you know, he's got the scattered white scales throughout him, but those are yellow too, just a different yellow. Like it's just a lighter hue. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Do you guys have a lot of Kofi up in Canada or no? No, I, I haven't seen any. However, on those Indo lists before, um, when I first started hopping on those, um, there was Kofi and they sold them as lime green or I think they call it true yellow or something on the lists. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't terrible. Like the yellow adults um, were like 1100 bucks. Nice. Um, and I, I should have done it, but I never. Bolins were 1700 bucks. Wow. Um, and I was gone next year. Uh, and then the next year they were 3200 And I was gone next year. And then, well, you know. That's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I don't. I haven't seen any Kofi out. But there's, you know, there's guys, really quiet guys that have a lot of cool stuff. But yeah, um, I haven't seen anybody with Kofi out here. So cool, man. Mm -hmm. The um, vine snakes. Yep. As far as those, is that something where you're if you're doing feeder geckos and stuff, or have you managed uh, to? We're talking Asian vine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was working with those a lot. Um, at one point, I had like yellow and silver ones too. Cool. Um, I was bringing lizards. Uh, I was breeding Pictus geckos for them at one point. Um, luckily, I've always had good access to like imported stuff and wholesale lists so I could get anoles or house geckos or whatever. Um, I had three litters of them. And that's when I quit working with them, basically. Uh, the babies were... Tough. <laughs> yeah. The first time I was... I had them going on guppies. 
which oh, wow. had the McTerrazans, which are fish eaters, right? They're, they always take fish, even the adults. Um, but I had a lot of Nasuda and it, the Nasuda is the ones I had litters from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they start, the first litter started, they would take guppies and then they kind of stopped. I tried dwarf aquatic frogs and they would get them and pull them out of the water and just kill them and leave them. And I ended up basically with them because out here we don't have anoles. Like, right. yeah, you can buy anoles, but they're all adults, right? Yeah. Um, and I found geckos they didn't do well with. Um, they just stick to the wall too well. You know what I mean? And they yeah. just, it's not, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I ended up feeding them baby dart frogs. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And then I had, at one point, I had two litters at the same time. Wow. Um, and I was going through 20 dart frogs a week. Oof. And it was like, it was so expensive and I couldn't. What, uh, what species? Uh, the Santa Isabella's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like a Pipido babies or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so they're cheaper, you know. Um, but yeah, like, and I couldn't sell them because everybody really? wanted them and they're like, oh, so I can buy all the feeders from you every week. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, <I'm ready> <laughs> no. Yeah, and, uh, I could never sell them, and they were like 150 bucks, and I was buying 20 dart frogs a week to feed them. So I just uh, I got out of them. The flying snakes were a lot easier. Um, really, the vines. Oh yeah, flying snakes just eat mice. Now the, the Nasuda you said you had you had produced all greens, or you produced white and yellow too? No, I I, I was never able to produce. The, the yellow ones, the female was yellow and the male was half yellow and half silver, like a purpley silver. Cool. Um, but those were Persina. Oh, um, that's right. That's right. And I was never able to produce those ones. Such a cool group. Yeah. yeah I love them. But yeah, if they were easier to manage or if I bred more like anoles or something. Yeah, I would love to keep them, but they're just too too much work. All of that, I I started kind of getting out because I was very fond of the flying snakes too. I have a bunch of sunbeams. I have file snakes too, um, but I'm getting out of all of that. Um, the pythons and boas are a little harder. They can hold themselves better, you know. Sure. Um, the other stuff is just too tedious. You're in there mucking around, and mm -hmm. it's too much. And the flying snakes, I, I was not fully successful i bred them once um and same thing i was moving while the eggs are hatching um and they all picked and then just died um and the, when i pulled them out like the babies are so small that establishing them yeah wouldn't have been fun um yeah. like i did rough greens too and those babies so like those are tiny yeah they're now yeah i don't even know what the hell they're eating at that size because it's it's ridiculous yeah like tiny wax worms and stuff um but all that stuff is it's too tedious for if you're working with a lot of, of things I yeah no, for sure you got to pick and choose your battles when you got that much going on yeah dude i'm watching that molinas in the background just like scale down that male yeah <laughs> dude it's so cool hell of a backdrop man i love it i know they were sleeping in the in the nest box so I threw a bunch of chicks in there. You guys are coming out. Like, nice, nice. Yeah. Smart, smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. And they're, so, dude, they're good looking. I could see it's a good looking animal, man. We're not, I, I call this my white pair. Um, the pair, I sent them to a zoo out here. 
Um, and they were, they were like black and yellow, but they weren't as fertile as this pair. Um, whereas this male is like white, hmm. like a yellowy tinge, but for the most part is like white. But the babies, my, the, I, the first baby I hatched out of this pair, I held back and it's a male. And that thing is, it's the nicest one. Uh, nice. it, it glows yellow and jet black. And That's then I cool. used a female from the high yellow pair which doesn't have a ton of color yet, but the female, you know? Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Now we can talk about stingrays. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> first of all, how does one just say, you know what? I'm going to keep stingrays at home. <laughs> I, uh, I was never into fish at all, actually. Um, and then I started working at Petland, so you gotta work, you gotta learn about fish, right? Yeah, yeah. That thing. And then I was working one day, and I always ended up being the only person working the fish and reptile room. There was bad at scheduling, and a, an Asian guy came in, and I couldn't really understand him that well. And I thought he said, "Do you have food for arowanas?" I was like, "Oh yeah, man," and he walked away. And then he came back with a bucket um, and he said, well, you take my arowana. Uh, and he just dropped it on the floor and left. Wow. And there was a, you know, like a three foot silver arowana just like curled up in a five gallon bucket. Jammed. Wow. Just balled up in there. Oh yeah. And so I called my manager and uh, he's like, oh, well we can't, we don't have any tanks for that. Like you can take it if you want it. Nice. I just like anything big and weird. Um, so it's like, oh, yeah, like hell of a fish, man. Yeah, I know. I was like my first real fish. Um, and I had a 90 gallon tank set up at home for a three toed amphuma. That's um, cool. Yeah. Like a big salamander. <laughs> yeah. And so I took it home and I took the amphuma out and I put the arowana in there. Well, and Sam, tell me you housed them together. <laughs> I learned not to do that because I did have little like ID sharks and stuff and then yeah, I ate them all. A th even a three foot uh, amphuma and a three foot silver arowana. I, I bet you they'd leave each other alone. <laughs> or, or, or you'd have a heavy YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that thing was mean, man. You put anything in that tank and that amphuma, at first it was cool until it was settled in. Yeah, and once yeah. you settled in anything, you put your arm in there and it would attack you. Like, oh, yeah. That thing oh, yeah. was nasty. Death from below. Um, but yeah, I, I went and got a 200 gallon tank for the arowana. And then I started researching. I realized you could keep monster fish. And then you know what it's like. Guys, like alligator gars, you know, ID sharks, prunes. Yeah. So I went on Kijiji and just found any cool big fish I could find, which was like ID sharks and stuff. Yeah. And then. I seen stingrays. Um, I wasn't quite there yet. Um, but then like, I don't know, six months into keeping big fish, uh, I got my first little Matoro pup and I had it with young red tail catfish. Oh geez. And I came home one day. I just got a tiger shovel nose. Finally threw oh, it in there. God, you just, and you're Ben thousand. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm home and the red tail catfish is like teetering yeah, on its belly. Yeah. I was like, oh, he ate the tiger shovel nose. And then I was looking around for the stingray and he just folded that thing up like a piece of salami. And, <laughs> yeah, dude. And then, like, a, four days later, the red tail cat was dead, too. 
Um, Jeez. So I learned you can't really do rays and catfish. Yeah. Uh, and then I got another ray, and within a month, I had eight of them. Uh, nice. And then I started phasing out the catfish because the rays were like. All right, so let's let's take a, a, a breath real quick and say, so for those of you listening, we're talking about freshwater stingrays. We are not talking about the things that killed Steve Irwin. We're not talking about the stuff you see at the aquarium swimming around with bull sharks and coral reefs. These are freshwater stingrays that, I mean, how big do they really get? I mean, most of them are like dinner plate size. No, uh, on average, 24 inches across. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. We out here now, we can't really get, you hear teacup stingray all the time. And that basically is like when you go to the pet store and you see a snake says fancy ball python. Like, <laughs> just means I don't know what it is. It's probably a small type though. Um, but half those teacups, usually they're reticulated stingrays, which those ones will get you know, 12, 16 inches. Uh, Hystrix stingrays are same thing, like 12 to 14 inches on average. But in Canada, those are not here anymore. Um, so Matoro stingrays, three foot across, two foot, three foot across. Um, wow. Size, and, you know, three and a half foot with the tail. Um, males, though, are a little smaller, like male Matoros will max out around two feet across. Um, on average, like 18 inches, 16, 18. But then you get the black diamond, which are, you know, the black ones with the white spots. They're an easy 24-inch disc uh, up to, you know, 30. Uh, wow. If you got the space, they'll, they'll hit 36. Yeah, I think just by me, no one ever has them for sale that large. No, yeah. 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 It's like when you go to your first boa breeder's place and you're like, Bows actually get that big, like yeah. Um, it's same with the rays. Yeah, you never see them. People got them in a hundred and eighty gallon or two hundred gallon, which is how big the filter should be, you know. Right. right. Um, but those suckers get big, man. Like if they live long enough, uh, they're really Next. sensitive too. So they, you know, most of them that you see sell in the pet store, they don't they don't make it. Um, but no, all mine on average are, I have a lot of pearl stingrays too, which are a smaller type. And they're probably all 16 inches, 18 inches for the big females. Nice. And then my hybrids and my albinos or my matoros and stuff are, yeah, 24 inches across. Very cool. So speaking of, you are mentioning tank size. Uh, so have you made, and I know this is indicative with a lot of the, the guys who don't have ponds, they keep, you know, silver arowana and they keep, you know, four foot long tiger shovel nose and which is one fish in one tank. Yeah. Did you do a double tank system with like the bottom tank being the sump or do you have like a external like pool, pool filter? I have a few styles. Okay. Um, I have aquariums with sumps underneath. And then I have some thousand gallons with uh, like big pressure filters. Um, like a, it's like a big sand filter, like you would do for a swimming yeah. pool, mm -hmm. but different. It's got like plastic media in it. Um, and they're big, like they're the size of like your outdoor garbage can. Sure, sure. And I have multiple of those on each one. Nice. And then the way that they work is the water comes down from the top and pushes through the media and then it's sucked from the bottom and then out to the tank. 
So they're nice because I can flip the uh, lever on the top over to backwash and it'll reverse the flow and it'll come up from the bottom and fluidize the water or the media and it'll clean all your media, stir everything up and then pump it out a different outlet to a drain. Oh, wow. And then you flip it all once you do your, and at, the, at that point, right, it's draining the aquarium. Um, and then once you're done draining to where you want it, you flip the valve over to rinse and then the flow goes back in through the top and then the media settles again. And then all the water's still going out the drain until there's a glass window on there and you can see how clear it is. And then all that stirred up dirty water, once it's clear again, you flip it back over to filter and it goes back to the tank. Wow. That's but those awesome. are a lot less maintenance because it's, yeah. you don't Especially, ever open it, you just hit a lever and that's yeah. that. Especially with sand and doing bulkheads with sand is just a nightmare. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. and then, and then, yeah, the other ones have sumps that are about um, at minimum 24 or 25% the volume of the aquarium. I like to do it like half the size of the aquarium itself. Yeah. Yeah, I had a a buddy who who had a I think it was a 350. He had a 350 gallon and then it was on a custom stand and then he wound up getting a 200 gallon underneath it that yeah. he put he put dividers in and then he had uh basically he made a refugium underneath. Yeah. And he had it like one cubby was all bio balls, another cubby had um like uh not sponge filter but the the cotton mesh stuff. Yeah, like the cotton batting. Yeah, yeah. And then the last section, he actually had uh, some like shrimp and some cleaner crab type stuff in there just to kind of pick up whatever chunks were left. And uh, his whole thing was he went up making out of silicone and like putty. He made like a little ant mound because he was having such a problem with sand, just losing sand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty cool, man. That you have that's the worst tips. part <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so how is it because uh, i've never done it how is it maintenancing a it, how do i phrase this how in can you get with stingrays in terms of like is it like a lionfish where you kind of just avoid the fish in terms of cleaning the glass and doing some some removal of stuff or are they just they don't care they're not going to sting you they just want food Eh, you use a lot of tools. Um, my arowanas are mean. Like they'll, my one will he'll jump two feet out of the water to bite you if you got wow. So my arowanas are kind of a bugger to deal with too. Um, the Asian ones, anyways. Yeah. The but the stingrays. I used to be a lot more reckless. Um, and then I almost got my throat cut one time by a big one. Wow. And I got a little more cautious. Like she tried jumping out of the tank and I had a tub of babies floating and I just thought about the babies and I reached over and to catch the tub and she spun around and her, her tail like went across my throat. Oof, oof, uh, and then another time I did get stung. Uh, and then after that, I, yeah, I, I, I used to get in there and I was a little more reckless, but now I just use tools. Yeah. Uh, you get yeah. hit on the arm, on the forearm. I got it in the hand. In the hand. Oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah. It was in the middle of COVID and I was super sick um, and I didn't want to quarantine. Uh, and so I was down working in the middle of the night and I just was in a bad mood because I was sick. Yeah. Um, so I was scrubbing 
and I just didn't really think about the race sitting there, and I just spooked it, and it, yeah. So now, did you get like a? I mean, obviously, I'm 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 underplaying it, but did you get like a love tap, or did you get the whole barb? Uh, the barb went about a quarter way in. Okay. Uh, and it was not what I expected. Um, the second it even like touched me, like it, it almost felt like you got like your hand shot off or something. Um, and then it kind of, like it made it, it instantly was like a blood, like blood blistered up around it. Yeah. And then it made its way up to like the soft spots, like felt like they were going to pop. And then your armpit mm-hmm. felt like somebody was ramming like a broomstick in it, you know? Oh yeah. It was weird. It was like all my insides, mainly on that side, on my right side, felt like they're going to explode. Um, it's venom and, hitting the lymph nodes, man. Yeah, it was weird. Like, and I just sat there in a chair for a couple hours and wrote it out, and uh, and it went away. It, like, yeah. but you yeah. didn't have you didn't have like a bit of barb in you or anything, right? No, luckily the barb awesome, stayed man. on the ray. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Good and you can see because they've got like a layer of like skin. It's almost like black tar over the barb. Right. And so you, when they stab something that, that pushes back and you can see the white barb, so you can see exactly how far it went in. Okay. Uh, but luckily it was a smaller one. Like if it was a big one, I see yeah. guys and it looks like a venomous snake bite, right? Like it just crawls oh, yeah. out. And, uh, yeah. Mine was pretty good. It just blood blistered up and then it, it took a long time to heal, like, cause it kept callousing out, um, but it didn't rot. Like I see yeah. guys get stunned by big ones. Yeah. Yeah. I got a buddy who got hit by one and uh, it, it snapped off. I mean, if you were to section the barb in thirds, that first third snapped off. He didn't realize it because it was up in him, you know, and he just thought, okay, I got tagged. And like, he did the same thing you did, write it out. The venom wasn't so bad. And, you know, his arm swelled up, whatever. And then like days later, it just got black and just started getting necrotic. And so he goes to the, um, like a hand specialist or whatever. Yeah. And they, they x-ray it and you could see it just up in there. He had to have it surgically uh-huh. removed. They had to they had to physically like open up his flesh and remove worst it. Worst splinter ever. Yeah, worst yeah. splinter ever, man. Yeah. Yeah, those things are heavily barbed. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Wild. There's wow. people that get hit by them out here all the time when they're fishing and stuff. I don't know what species it is. They're saltwater, but everyone I know that's been hit by them says it sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're definitely more careful after you get it once. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. I never I never mess with, with a lot of venomous fish in that regard. Like, I mean, I put my arm in with lionfish and like it's on the left and I'm on the right. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's a lot different than a ray that's constantly moving and looking and you know, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you have a tendency to get a lot of them in a tank. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like snakes, you can't just have one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so and how often are they reproducing though? Once you get them going, they'll go consistently. So if the female stay in with the male, she'll finish giving birth and the male will re impregnate her. Um, wow, and typically, like, they divide it. Trigon is like the the more common genus that you see kept um and they divide into like black rays and brown rays black rays are typically like at least four months um and brown rays are closer to three they're like three three and a half month gestation 
So they'll go like every three and a half months. Damn. They'll drop litters. Yeah. Wow. But I've started separating them for the most part. Like the way I do it is I build floating baskets or more like hanging baskets. So it's like another tank with an acrylic bottom so I can see through just nice. to see what's going on underneath. And then it's got the, they're like half inch squared plastic mesh almost. Mm-hmm. And I wrap it with that. So it's just like a floating tank in there. And I move pregnant females into there. And then that way they can, A, the sometimes you'll get the pups, right? They're so food reactive that a pup will be swimming and a rail just jump and bite it. And then it'll end up losing its tail or, or getting damaged. Um, so the pups are protected up there. They're not damaged. And then the female, I can feed her heavy as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the freshwater stingrays are live birth or do any of them do like that mermaid pouch thing? All live birth. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mermaid, no, purse. Eggs. Yeah. Yeah, mermaid purse. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. Very cool. And what's, what's the average litter size? All over the place. Okay. Um, so the first one I bred, her first litter was four pups. And then three and a half months later, she gave birth to 13 pups. Wow. Yeah. So, but I would say for me, like on average, like four, four to six. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty big one. And uh, what's uh, what's the water quality that you're trying to go for? Is it is there are certain species, you know, pristine? pristine. So just seven no hardness, perfect nitrates, perfect nitrites. Fiji Fiji bottle quality. Just Fiji bottle water. Oh yeah, yep. Um, the pH I used to muck around. They they like a lower pH. Okay. Um, like six point five. Naturally, but I noticed you're better off rather than screwing around with buffers and stuff and the amount of water changes you got to do, especially to breathe. Um, It's more detrimental to be mucking around with that than to just establish your raised your pH. Uh, So my pH is high. Like it's in the eights. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Anytime I, I get a new ray, like I'll spend an hour drip acclimating it. Um, I just have a drip running into the tub and then I slowly just remove the water that it's in with. Um, because if you just drop them in there, they'll get pH shock. And, and yeah. So um, then so let me ask you this. If your pH, if you're running pH of eight and mom's given birth, now those pups are just automatically accustomed to living at eight because that's what mom was at. Yep. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's super cool, man. Super cool. Um, do they need any kind of, I mean, I don't want to say specials. Like, is this some, in terms of water quality, do they need like a protein skimmer or are they susceptible to any kind of like external parasites where you'd want to do like UV sanitizer or anything? Or are they pretty much just hardy? Rays are pretty hardy in the sense of diseases and stuff like they don't get ick or anything like that yeah um it's it's more water quality than anything really okay um 
I just I didn't know because like, some of the guys that keep like some of the sharks and stuff, the freshwater sharks and stuff, like the blue sharks and whatnot, they do protein skimmers even though it's freshwater because it's going to take out some of the fungus and stuff like that. Yeah, it can have UV sterilizer for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, with rays, you don't run into as many. It's more yeah fungal infections and stuff like that that you're going to get. Okay. Um, and on the same note. Do you guys, do you have just like general LED fish lighting or do you do some kind of spectrum lighting specifically for them? I'm brutal. Uh, <laughs> Keep them in the dark. And it's shabby. Uh, <laughs> I've just got like shop LEDs hanging from the roof. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. That's it. Yeah. Nothing. Love it. Love it. I'm about to raise, not the, the tanks. No, I have one. I have no one. Odyssey one lights. Fuck like, those. Yeah. yeah, one thing yeah. is natural and stuff, you know, with wood and and sand. But the other ones, I just give them like driftwood and stuff for them to knock around because they like to chew on it and push stuff around or whatever. Cool. Just glass uh, bottom on those. Yeah, the one I'm gonna do sand too. I I prefer the sand. Yeah, they move it around and stuff. But those ones that have those big canisters with the sumps and everything. It's just overflow, right? Sure. Those big canister type filters I have, it's a pump actually sucking. Mm. So you're, you're just going to suck up all your sand. Yeah. Whereas the one tank that has that type of filtration, uh, it's 40 inches tall. And I put my intake, uh, well, it's almost halfway up. Okay. And the sand that I like to use is kind of heavy. Yeah. So when the rays kick it up, it, it doesn't make it that high. So that tank, I think I can. And that one is, it's like a thousand or 1200 gallon um, fiberglass with a window in it. Uh, so that one I'm going to do sand too. Very cool. But I have a nine and a half by six and a half foot pond that I, I just don't think it would work. Cause the intake is like a bar, like sure. four inches up from the bottom. Yeah. It's tough, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to clog that bar full of crap. Oh, and it's literally, the bar is a PVC pipe. Yeah, yeah. It's just half a, inch holes. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I mean, you're going to have no sand left in the pond. Sure, sure. Uh, do they prefer, like, just static flow, or do you have, like, power heads in there, or what? They like a lot of flow. Okay. Uh, yeah, they like a lot of moving water. Um, just constant current. Yeah, it's not like some of the plecos where they like it like like a powerful current. You know? It's not like a stream, but the water's got to be moving. Yeah, exactly. A babbling so, brook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I have returns on either end. Oh, cool. Well, I have filtration, separate filtration on either end in case one fails. Nice. I, I just want to just have one filter. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I have returns on every end. So if you look at the water, you can see especially on the top of flow is going everywhere. Um, awesome. And then there's a lot of, there's usually a high pressure return. That's I got a skunk outside my door right now. Uh, <laughs> Canadian raccoons. It's cold yeah. out. Bring them inside. Yeah. But yeah, those I have returns that just, push a lot of oxygen into the water too. Nice. Uh, the rays are very sensitive to, to depleted oxygen. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they prefer low pH um, and heavy oxygen 
is kind of what they're they don't really like high nitrates either even though nitrates you you equate that with yeah 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 yeah. you figure all those those heavy heavy heavier acid waters are going to be you know high in tannins and dead leaves and all that but at the same time you're going to have a lot of root growth promoting oxygen and yeah yeah so i get it actually all my ray tanks now too have uh pothos growing out of them oh cool man see all the roots hanging in there yeah very cool yeah it just floats or you like have it draped over the side the the one aquarium i just have holes in the top and all the roots are just in there and it's covered top of the aquarium oh that's awesome Um, canopy yeah and then the the other ones have those big canister filters go up to rain barrels. Nice. And then I have rain barrels have sponges in the top and then it's bio balls. So then the water trickles down through all that. And then they have an old, like a, a bulkhead with an elbow. And it's kind of like, it was designed to be like an overflow because they were a different style before they mm-hmm. used to go for buddy. And now I just ran all the roots in through that. So the roots go through the bio balls. Oh, that's awesome. Pothos hangs out of the top of the rain barrels. That's great, man. That's so cool, dude. You got it all dialed in, man. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh well, I I, one more Ray question and then we'll 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 start wrapping it up because we're at the two hour mark. But what do you feed them? I feed them like smelts and silver sides. Okay. um, And shrimp. And I like that the most. Shrimp and silver sides. What's that? Shrimp or the silver sides? I like the price of the silver sides, and I like the shrimp. <laughs> fair uh, enough, fair enough. But it was costing me, depending on how much I was feeding, like 12 to $25 a day to feed them. Okay. Um, and it's too much. Yeah. So I feed as well um, sinking trout pellets. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they're like 48% protein. Nice. Um, and so they grow their rays really well. They're loaded with vitamins and everything. But the pellets really do a number on the water. I can imagine. Yeah. When you're feeding pellets, the water has a bit of a tint to it, uh, and it, and it can smell a little bit more. Whereas when I'm just feeding all raw, it's it's crystal clear. There's no tint, uh, no smell. And then I'm usually changing like uh, 500 gallons every two days. Like on wow! Wow! It's a lot of water, man. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's wild, man. Yeah, and I imagine that, like, I've seen it with some of the catfish where, you know, you give them sinking pellets, and if they go after the pellet real quick, then you're good. If, but if the pellet had time, kind of like uh, kind of like Cocoa Puffs, when you, they're in the, uh, in the, yeah. milk, the milk for too long, they get mushy, and then the, the cat will eat the pellet or pellets, and they're already soft because they've absorbed all that water, and then the minute they, like, make that vacuum in their mouth – all that crap just comes out their gills and uh, yeah. yeah okay yeah you got to be very cautious with the pellets to feed just less than what they want <laughs> yeah 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 it, t- timing is everything with them i guess uh, oh yeah yeah you don't feed and leave yeah you, and you wait and then yeah. you scoop it out if they don't get it right away yeah or you put in two and then you put in two more and you put in one more yeah and yeah then, and yeah. then you're good <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i do a handful per tank and then i go back and then Nice, nice. Yeah. That's great, man. Dude, I'm, I'm loving it. 
love stingrays. So cool. Yeah, they're they're like dogs. They got a lot of personality. That's awesome. Very awesome. I like to pet the ones in the touch tank. Yeah. For At sure. The zoo. For sure, man. The ones yeah. in the wild, they're not as much fun. No. <laughs> well, and all the species feel they, they have different skin too. Yeah. Yeah. Pop one python breeding for Lisa. Oh yeah. Get into the Abadora real real quick. With the with the right quickness. Because there I know there was a well, I had two snakes and I put them in the same cage. And <laughs> I had one huge female that looks like the Michelin man. Nice, nice. Yeah. She didn't eat her boyfriend. Process. <laughs> yeah. What's the process of establishing and cycling them? And why does uh why do you think it took a smaller girl to make that happen? So I'm assuming your female was smaller. Yeah, so I had with the size thing. I just believe it's it's age. Like with Popwins, right? 90% of the ones that come in are 10, 12 footers. Um, and I just think they've spent too long in the wild. Uh, it takes adult snakes far longer to acclimate to captivity than it does babies. Um, like, I, uh, like I feel like you could raise a baby and get in a wild-caught adult, and you would breed them both at the same time because it would take wow. you long to acclimate i feel wow um, and so i was trying i had these like they were 13 14 foot huge females um and i got close the same thing they would lay inverted and the one had huge follicles and everything and nothing well and then the next year that female died um mm. and i had multiple stage necropsies done um, and she had all kinds of internal stuff going on. Um, but I think it was just the fact that the female that I bred, she was five, six feet when she came into captivity, which five, six feet is a, a, a very young popcorn python, mm -hmm. uh, like this, you know, this big around sure. and my male was the same. And so I had raised them. You know, my male I had for like seven, eight years and the female I had for like five years at this point. But my buddy got her like two years before that. Um, so I think it was just that, um, that they were young. Establishing them to captivity, not difficult. Um, once you deal with the tapeworms, I find popworms are horrible for tapeworms. Um, like my first female, she was crapping out four foot sections of live tapeworms. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was bad. It was unreal. Um, multiple four foot sections. Um, but they're easy to establish. Um, other than I had a few that would just rub their face off initially. Mm -hmm. um, the, the way that I noticed is I had my male paired up again with that female that almost went with for me the year before. Nothing really. They were locking up, but I, I there was no follicle growth or anything. The year before when I got her to build huge follicles, I did not stop hitting her with food. Okay. Um, I'm a very light feeder. I feed very light and, and quite seasonally. Um, so for me, approaching breeding with the Indonesian stuff, I'm smashing them with food. And that's one of my triggers for them, right? Um, that's approaching me dropping temps 
And it didn't happen that year. Well, what, was, what constitutes what constitutes smashing? Like how? What's the frequency when you're? Are you so you going from like feed, once a month to once a week? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I feed three, four weeks a big meal, um, and then instead they'll be getting like say a jumbo rat every week um, for like wow. a month or two leading up to my my temp drops. Gotcha. Okay. And then during my temp drops, I'll cut it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't want to be feeding when I'm pairing and stuff too. Um, but the female, that young female, she, uh, normally is a killer. Like I go to the cage, she comes out and she tries to throw coils around anything and wrap anything, bite onto it, eat it. And I went to change her water and she just like sucked back into their hide, which was weird for her. Um, normally it's the other way around. And I lifted it and she was in a tight coil and so I pulled her out and I palpated and she had eight big follicles. Nice. And so I threw the mail. That was in the beginning of January. I took the mail, threw him in there. He was all over it. Uh, and I literally, when I paired them, both females, when I paired them, I pulled all nighters. I just drank coffee all night and I sat in front of the cage. Uh, and then I put those cameras on and I would just walk around the store all day, literally with customers like, yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, sorry. I'm just watching like, yeah make sure you know <laughs> and yeah within a week they were locking up like every day after that wow and then it was pretty i took every, notes every day uh like temperature notes though um what side of the cage she was on the hot side of the cool side and then what her body temp was versus what the cage floor was and she was always like three to five degrees warmer than the cage floor on average 85. okay and yeah, they bred for like a month or whatever. Uh, and then she ovulated. Uh, I think it was in March. Yeah, I think it was March she ovulated. It was January 27th is when the first lock was. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was typical Python stuff, right? Like I dropped the room to, you know, 70 degrees at night. Um, her hot spot was only 86. Uh, and she didn't use it that often, except for towards the end there. I think in my notes, there was one time when her body temperature was 86.7, I think. Wow. Um, otherwise it was always like 83 to 85 was her body temperature. Um, and then I go, the way that my system works is in the summertime, I have extreme daytime highs and mild nighttime lows. Nighttime, the room will be 77, 78. On average during the day, it's like 80, 82, but you'll get extreme daytime highs. Sometimes it'll be 85. Um, and so that'll happen throughout the summer. In the winter, it reverses. You only get mild daytime highs, 80, 82. And you'll get extreme nighttime lows, 70 degrees. Sometimes it might hit 67 if I can get it down there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way mine goes. I feel for me, it's, more important to just have a consistent it's not down to the degree or down to the month it's a consistent open season you know right hotter or more food this time cooler and less food this time or vice versa you know um and so i do that very loosely whereas before i was you know you go down one degree every week until you hit the like I don't think that's so much important. I think it's consistency. People will try and breed them and then it doesn't work one year 
and then they'll go, oh, this guy's doing this. So then they'll change and start doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's they need to get used to it. And that's why I find like the breeder loan thing doesn't really work that well either with a lot of those species, right? Because it takes them a couple of years to adjust to their, their yeah. seasons. Yeah. Very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, I was just I was uh, just talking about that the other day. Um, you know, adult chondros, like females especially, it seems like if you if you get an adult female, uh, they do seem to take a while to really sort of get in sync with everything else. Yeah, uh, they've they've moved. You know, it's it, those moves just do do something to them that that they just take a long time to kind of come around to, to getting in the swing of things. Yeah. It seems all trust in your process and letting them get used to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Wise words, man. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to, seems to work. Wow. Yeah. For most of it anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying Fuscus again this year. I think last year they were just too small. They just didn't care. But no. this year, I got way more attempts. Like, legitimately, got them way colder. And uh, fingers crossed. So have they locked? No, no, they're they're set. They're still separate right now. I put them together for a little bit, and they kind of looked at each other like, "What the hell do you want us to do?" And yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I just uh, I didn't feed them for over a month because it was probably high sixties, low seventies, and oh, yeah. then it spiked and it was like eighty because it's the natural temperature outside. And uh, I was like, all right, things need to eat. So I, I fed everything three days ago. And right now, I, I just checked on my phone uh, on the Govi. It's 67. And I'm like, oh, crap, they're going to throw up. This is no no bueno. But it should be, it, if I play my cards right, it should go back up to the right. 70s. I think they'll be all right. It should go back up to the 70s tomorrow. So it should be all right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those water pythons are tough, man. Yeah, yeah. But good stuff, man. I, the people are loving the Apodora stuff, by the way, in case you can't see the group chat. Yeah, I can't, no. Yeah, comments are on fire with the Apodora. So. Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah they're amazing. Uh, and the babies are huge, man. Huge. Oh, awesome. And Jeff and Kendra have talked about their time with theirs, and they were saying that they're just, like, ridiculously strong. Yeah. Like, insanely oh. strong. Yeah, they're huge, and they're ridiculous because they use their whole body. Like mm -hmm. they'll throw the middle of their body at something and try and get a coil there. And then their tail will be trying to get a coil. Like they'll just get like three different coils on you so that they can bite onto you or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our good friend Nipper in, in London, he has a pair and uh, he tried breeding them and uh, no luck, but he's working on it. But he now, after a, a, a recent, show of force he's perfectly fine nothing happened but he won't clean the cage unless someone's in earshot because <laughs> like he's if he's he's by himself and i mean he's not a small guy by any means i mean he's what six one six two something like that but that thing's all muscle and it will own him in a minute so oh dude i had when we were moving here i had an almost 14 foot female i was packing up snakes and she got me wrapped up and I got her, what was that? I had her, I got her neck cause she was trying to bite. Right. And she had my arms wrapped up like this and I had her by the neck and she was squeezing so hard that she was making me choke her, but I couldn't let go. And my other hand was like 
folded back like oh god my arm like that oh hypertension and i was like that i was fighting her for like good 15 20 minutes to the point where i just panicked and ran upstairs out onto the street to find somebody to help me (laughs) and my girlfriend at the time pulled up and it even took her like with the two of us I don't even know, another 10 minutes to get this snake unwrapped. And she got it so far back that instantly, like as soon as she was off, my whole hand was purple and black, like just bruised. Like she literally almost snapped my hand. Um, Wow. And there's no getting out of it. Like, yeah. 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 Those, those things, I don't, I don't let them get a hold of me like that anymore. Yeah. That's tough, man. Yeah. (laughs) Oof. worth it wild yeah dude super cool man this is a good show boys it was i I enjoyed this yeah yeah thanks for having me hell yeah man what is the best place for people to stay in the loop or if they have any questions or get in contact probably instagram um i i do i'm into snakes not business and social media. So I could run things better. Uh, basically I keep it separate almost like I have Facebook. It's the reptile shop red deer, but that is basically just basic store stuff. Uh, and I respond to that during store hours. Whereas the Instagram page serves also as like my personal Instagram. So I'm more active on that. And that is what shows all like the more rare breeding stuff. Uh, and the Instagram is just the underscore reptile underscore shop. Uh, and with the Facebook or Instagram, you can search Cody Joe McEwen uh, and it'll pop up on there too. Uh, and then I've also, I got to get back on it, but I started doing some YouTube videos too. Um, and that's just the reptile shop red deer as well. And then I've done most of the last genus on there too. Nice. Pop ones. You just cool. see all those chondros, man. What's that? So you need to need to show off all those chondros. I know. You just posted that good looking pair, man. Oh, the blue and yellow. Yeah, yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. I want something there. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, this episode was brought to you by BlackBoxCages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, shop around. Use the code THN to check out. Get ten percent off your order. Save yourself on shipping. Uh, and then use the code THN at checkout on fullviseapparel.com as well. New stuff getting uploaded and ready to go all the time. Check it out. Uh, Puget Sound Pythons, good friends in the Pacific Northwest. Give them a follow on all major platforms. And cold bloody caffeine. You need that coffee. Stay awake. It's good. It, it tastes delicious and it energizes you greatly. Warm yourself. It's cold this winter. I'm wearing a hoodie. I know. That's a big deal in itself. But I'm also wearing basketball shorts and flip-flops, so it doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever works, buddy. As long as you're comfortable. I am. It's it's, it's a perfect, uh, uh, what do you call it? A thermal gradient. That's what it is. (laughs) Hmm. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, THP on Thursday. I believe. I know a lot of people are itching for another uh, second episode of Flipping Tin. Yeah, when are they uh, doing, like, what night are they doing that? I don't know. So, I mean, they were talking about doing it 
like once a month. Um, honestly, I'm I if they wanted to do it more than that, like it wouldn't bother me. Like if I got a Thursday night off here and there periodically, I wouldn't be that upset about it. Because sure. my other idea was they can do that, and then I can be pre-recording. Uh, you know, Conjure cast episodes or something while they're doing the lives, yeah. Um, and you know, help sort of sort of even things out a little bit schedule wise. Sure. Um, for me, but you know, I I did watch that first episode. I was there to help help Jake with any technical stuff because um, he had never used Streamyard on his own or anything like that. So, okay. um, but it was really good. It was a really good show. I'm really excited about. It. I think it's yeah, it's going to do really well. Um, him and Sky do do great. So. It'll be good. Check it out. Hell yeah. Thank you, everybody. We'll see y'all later. Bye.